hope when people travel to this part of the country that they find a place that can serve them food that represents their area well because the food here is absolutely uh, incredible. I grew up as a child. My grandparents were, as I said, it was sustenance farming in the purest form. They had to save the seed. Appalachian Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Appalachia meets world. It's Will. And Neil, what it is. How's it going? It's going good, man. Man, all our listeners can't see, but my boy got his wig split. Fresh fade. For those of you out there that know Will and I, Will has been growing his hair out since like pre-COVID era. I get on tonight for our episode and dude's got less hair than me right now. Yeah. I look younger. I don't know about all that. <laughs> it's just a haircut man we can't we can't make you look younger you look like you look a little bit like luke you look like our nephew luke think so yeah i can see where he gets his uh like maybe i should grow it back out man beautiful hair from <laughs> they almost didn't let me pick my daughter up at daycare <laughs> didn't recognize you didn't know who you were like so who are you here for again <laughs> <laughs> that's great I got used to that long hair look. So, Neil, yeah, one thing I wanted to add is is about the floods down in New Orleans. You know, we talked several weeks ago about the floods in eastern Kentucky. Yeah. And the hurricane that came through New Orleans. I, I just want to send a heartfelt prayer or whatever you want to send to the people down there because it's not the hurricane. The hurricane and the floods in the beginning get all the news. And I, I feel awful for the people that passed away during it. But the recovery... It's not an overnight thing. I mean, the recovery is going to take years and years and years. And I just want people to think about that, of how long it's going to take to recover from everything that was destroyed during this time. It hits close to home for us with the flood of 77 in Pineville and then seeing the flood in eastern Kentucky. And it's you hear a lot about it and get a lot of donations in the beginning. But you got to think about these people five, 10 years from now when they're still trying to recover. I just want to want to throw that out there and say we're, we're thinking about all those people sending our thoughts. Just continue to remember those people, continue to think about them, not just today, but throughout the years. Absolutely. Well said. So where are you from? Man, I'm down here in the 606 holding it down. You know, the one that lives in Appalachia. What's going down on down there? You made it through the Labor Day holiday? Yeah, yeah, you know, just uh, a lot of kickback, relaxing, enjoying some fall weather. Football season is in the air. That's what I associate Labor Day with, the start oh. of college football. Absolutely. Everybody's got to. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, grill out? Do you grill out over Labor Day? I smoked uh, a brisket. It was phenomenal, as nice. usual. A little 12 hours on the smoker. If y'all want my secret recipe, you're going to have to call me. Well, we can put it out there. No, man, that's secret. That's top secret stuff. They're going to have to pay for that. <laughs> we grilled. I think that's kind of like the tradition, right, of Labor Day? It's uh, funny. I always associate Labor Day with the end of summer. But really, do you even know what Labor Day is? Well, for you, it probably is the end of summer. For me, it's like the hottest day of the year. <laughs> right. My uh, my kids asked me the other day, so is, is it the day that we commemorate all the people that died in the war? I was like, that's Memorial Day. 
I think people know what Labor Day is, but we don't really think about it. Yeah, it has something to do with the labor movement, right? Well, yeah, it's the trade unions, the labor yeah. movement, organized labor throughout history, but I think that kind of gets lost in the weekend. Oh, for real? It's an extra day off from work, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it, that's what it's known as. It's a holiday. It's always, like I said, start of college football, which is always exciting time, especially for us. But then it's also bittersweet because it's the end of summer. Back to school, all the above. But like I said, it also is a traditionally is we always grill out on Labor Day. What'd you grill? We just had burgers. Nothing special. Any kind of special seasoning on those burgers or just uh... I, I, I always put a little special seasoning. You'll have to call me to find out. Yeah. <laughs> we might need to charge for these recipes. I mean, the man we're having on tonight, you know, you can't you can't get his stuff for free. That's what I was gonna get at. The king of country ham. I know. What a uh what a title you just gave him. I love it though. I mean, he is. If there has ever been a king since Elvis, I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure this guy is it. Mr. Bennett is it. I, I can remember growing up and Papa, grandmother, always having a country ham in their garage. Mm. Remember that? Yeah, always. It was a given. Anytime you went in their garage, you could smell that musky country ham hanging. I wonder if they got it from him. You know, they did grow up fairly close. Yeah, they, it's, well, a, it's a possibility. We'll have to ask him if they, if they knew each other. Yeah. But that was tradition in, in back in the day in Appalachia, just for sustenance. I mean, people had country hams, and they ate on it year-round. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things. They always Our grandparents always had it. They always had country ham at, at almost every meal. Yep. So I don't know, you know, our listeners out there, if you eat ham or turkey at the holidays or both or whatever in our family it's we always have both and uh i'm interested to ask mr benton that as well um and i'm sure he'll be able to give us a full education on how exactly he got in he got to be known as the uh king of country ham so i'm looking forward to learning that i am too and i think that's an unofficial title that we gave him well i like it yeah, I think it fits. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, you wanna you wanna get into this? Get, yeah, get let's, started. Let's get him on, man. I got questions. I need to know. All right, let's get him answered. On, on the episode today, we have a special guest. I'm so excited about this guest. This is one of the probably most excited I've been to have a guest on our show. We have with us Mr. Alan Benton. It's safe to say now, I think he is a food legend in this region, but also throughout the country. His delicious porks, bacons, hams, prosciutto, all the above are known by chefs around the world. He owns and operates Benton Smoky Mountain Country Ham and has been doing that since 1947. Mr. Benton, can we call you Alan? Please call me Alan. Nobody calls me Mr. Benton. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor and a pleasure to, to have you on with us. Well, it's uh, we're delighted to be a part of it and glad that you asked us to do it. One thing that we ask all our guests in the beginning, and 
like Appalachians are big on tradition, Neil and I, our family's big on tradition as well. And one of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. So just to kick it off, we wanted to ask you, do you have a, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Gosh, uh, there's so many special dishes uh, that resonate during the holidays here. We usually bring, uh, we usually bring one of my 24 to 36 month hams home. Uh, I'll sit it on my counter in a stand, usually around uh, Thanksgiving, and it stays on that stand until it's consumed. Sometimes that takes till March or April. But everybody wow. who comes to my house during Thanksgiving is going to shave that ham paper thin and have some of it. And of course, uh, we make pork sausage at my business that we sell retail, and it makes wonderful uh, sausage balls. My wife is known for her sausage balls. So those are two things that from my products that we have. But of course, there's all kinds of uh, traditions in the South at, at the holiday time from old time, what we call stack cakes. Uh, yeah. So many different things that uh, resonate during the holidays. I love a good sausage ball. Well, my wife is pretty handy in the kitchen. <laughs> she uh, she makes incredible sausage balls. And of course, that's, that's a staple at our house during the holiday season. Yeah, Neil and I grew up, our, our papa, he lived next door to us when we were growing up, and he always had a country ham in his garage. It, it was just, just a constant. They had cornbread and country ham, I think, at, on the table at every single meal. Two of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> we're, pretty, well, we're pretty passionate about cornbread here in Appalachia as well. Most people uh, are very partial to a certain brand of cornmeal as we are at my house. What brand is that? We get it from Lenny's Water Mill over in North Carolina. It's a coarse ground meal. He has a both yellow and white. It's extraordinary cornmeal. I've never tried that, but a, I definitely will. It's it, it's it's coarse ground. It's uh, his grits are incredible. His cornmeal is incredible. We use flour from uh, oh gosh, let me think the name of it. Boonville Milling Company. Yeah. And the flour makes the best biscuit of anything. We Those are both in North Carolina, two extraordinary uh, products, the, both the cornmeal and the, and the flour. Excellent. I guess now that we have the appetizer question out of the way, maybe we can just, just ask you, how, how did you get into the country ham business? I mean, you are literally a living legend when it comes to ham in, in the country. How, how did you get into the business? I went to school to be an educator. I uh, was at high school, working as a high school guidance counselor. I had just gotten my master's degree. was going during the summers. School started. About two days after school started, I just got my master's. They came through and passed out a copy of the salary schedule. And I took one look. I think my pay went up by three or $400. <laughs> at, that, at that time, this was 1973, I think, uh, Tennessee was second from the bottom, only behind Mississippi and teacher pay nationwide. And the county that I'm in, Monroe County here in Tennessee, was second from the bottom behind Hancock County in Tennessee and teacher pay. So I knew I had to be among the worst paid teachers in the country. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I literally resigned within 15 minutes to look at that salary schedule. And a day or two later, maybe a week or two later, actually, uh, I heard there was a fellow here in this county who had been making country hams in his backyard in a tiny little building, not government inspected. And I thought I wanted to go to law school. And I 
thought, you know, I've got to have something to do until I get admitted to law school. I thought, you know, if I can talk that fellow into leasing me that building, he'd quit that spring. I thought I'd like to do that. It sounded like something fun. And when I got into it, I talked him into it. And after about five or six months, I was enjoying immensely what I was doing. I thought, you know, this is going to not last very long. I'm just going to do this as long as I'm enjoying myself. And I'll figure out what I want to do once I get out of this business, because I didn't think I would survive. 48 years later, I'm still here and hope I've got about 20 years left in me. (laughs) (laughs) So, So you had no previous experience in this business. You just decided that kind of sounds like fun. Let me look into it. Well, my family there in Virginia, both sides of the family, always raised anywhere from two to four pigs, four hogs a year. We literally killed hogs on Thanksgiving Day there in those mountains if it wasn't raining. That was considered an ideal time to butcher your hogs. And we, I never had turkey on Thanksgiving Day until I was a grown man. We had fresh pork. We would butcher those hogs and uh, that's what we had for Thanksgiving. And with that background, I'd always enjoyed the country ham and bacon and sausage that my grandparents made. I still use the original family recipe from that old log smokehouse behind the house I was born in. It was my grandmother Benton's recipe. I still use that to make the ham and bacon that I make today. Well, you grew up in Virginia. You're now in Tennessee, born and raised, always been in Appalachia. How how has Appalachia shaped you as a person and, and how has it shaped you as a business owner? First off, I'm incredibly proud of the Appalachian culture. I think there's something special about about the South in general, whether it's the Mountain South, the Delta, or the Coastal South. It's all special in its own way. But I'm truly uh, enamored with uh, the culture, the food, the people in Appalachia. And of course, uh, I couldn't grow up uh, the way I did and not have an appreciation, I don't think, for uh, the food ways of Appalachia. And I guess I'm on my way to being a foodie if I'm not one by now. <laughs> um, I've always, when I travel, it's always about the food. I want to I want to eat the, the food from the local area wherever I am and experience that. And I, I hope when people travel to this part of the country that they find a place that can serve them food that represents our area well because the food here is absolutely uh, incredible. I grew up as a child. My grandparents were, as I said, it was sustenance farming in the purest form. They had to save the seed to use to plant their gardens for the following year. So all the food was heirloom vegetables. It was raised in an organic way because they didn't have money to go buy fertilizers. Uh, Everything was raised and and preserved there on their farms. They didn't let anything go to waste, not any berries or any fruits. Everything was canned or dried. They didn't have freezers when I was young. Uh, Everything was either canned in fruit jars or dried, preserved in some way for further use. I just don't, I think there's something truly special about that. I have incredible memories of my uh, grandparents cooking on wood stoves. There's nothing like cornbread or biscuits made in an old wood stove. I was once asked my favorite meal. It was by a bunch of young foodies. They were here doing some filming about our business, some from the West Coast, some from uh, New York. And they were talking about their favorite meals. I was feeding them in a little greasy spoon restaurant here in Madisonville. They came around to me and they asked me my favorite meal. And I said, well, 
because of what I do, I've gotten to eat food with some of the best chefs in America. And I kind of paused and I said, but my favorite meal would not have been in one of those great restaurants. <laughs> it would probably have been at one of my grandparents' houses, probably at holiday time, mm-hmm. eating the food that they had grown, preserved, and fixed for the people they loved. And when you're sitting there enjoying that food with your family and people you care about, nothing is better than that. That's as good as it gets. Amen. Do you have <laughs> do you have one favorite? You know, I've, I've had some incredible meals uh, in restaurants. Who could not like David Chang's food? Who could not like Sean Brock's food? I would have a hard time picking. I had an incredible meal at a restaurant in Spain. I had an incredible meal at a craft restaurant in New York. Damon Wise was the executive chef for Mr. Colicchio, Tom Colicchio. I've been blessed to eat with some incredible restaurants, but I really honestly, it's like trying to pick a favorite grandchild. <laughs> you love them all. And I, I've had so many great meals. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. Neil and I have spoken about this before. I've eaten at some not nearly as great restaurants as you have, but even the restaurants that I have eaten, I think my favorite meal is still soup, beans, and cornbread. Oh, that's a standard. I never get tired of it. Uh, <laughs> I've often said my last meal, if I were condemned to death and got one last meal, it might be cornbread and pinto beans and a big hunk of onion. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's one of my favorite meals, and I've never gotten tired of it. Uh, I've eaten it my whole life when I was a kid growing up. We had uh, we had pinto beans and cornbread probably at least five days a week. Yeah, I, I imagine you put a little ham hock in there to cook with. Well, you're I wouldn't want to bet against you. I think you're probably right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we tend to season everything with pork here, and uh, whether it's green beans or dried beans or whatever, a pot of a pot of greens and fall with some ham shank in it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good eating. Absolutely. You're speaking my language. How um, Bill would have grown up well at your house. <laughs> yeah. My mom can fix <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, uh, it was traditional Appalachian cooking. And uh, like I said, I, I enjoy eating in a great restaurant, but the next meal at my house with home cooking is hard to beat. I'll just have to tell you. And my wife's uh, married. I'm very lucky. I married over my head. The lady is an incredible cook. That's that's wonderful. I wanted to talk about your business a little bit in regards to, you, you know, your country hams, your hams in general are in some of the top restaurants throughout the country. I imagine it didn't start that way in 1947. How how has your business grown and how did you get in some of the best restaurants in the on the menus of some of the best restaurants in the country coming from, you know, little town in Appalachia? Well, the first 20 to 25 years that I was in business, I would literally lay awake lots of nights with a lump in my chest, wondering how much longer I could keep my doors open because I was barely surviving. But I got a couple of lucky breaks. The first one was selling to a place uh, about 45 minutes from me called Blackberry Farm. And when I started selling to Blackberry Farm, I didn't have any idea of what Blackberry Farm was. I thought it was probably an old single-wide trailer or a double-wide trailer <laughs> with a porch built on the front because it was down this long hollow here in Wallen, Tennessee. And it turned out it was a five-star restaurant. That was one of our lucky breaks because it helped me figure out 
that the kind of product that I make could be used in better restaurants. Another positive experience for us was becoming a member of the Southern Foodways Alliance based in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, we got invited there for a country hymn tasting. Initially turned them down. Uh, John T. Edge was the executive director and uh, he's a very persistent fellow. He called me back the next day and and said, you don't know what you're turning down. You simply have to come here. Well, he's very persuasive. Uh, he could probably talk me into walking off a cliff if he tried. He's that persuasive. And um, I agreed to go. And he told me there were going to be chefs and food writers and media people at this symposium. And it was a, a tasting. And I, I was excited to go down because I'd never done anything like that. He called me about two weeks before I'm going to go down there, and he asked me, he said he wanted to inquire how I was planning on serving my ham to those people. And I said, what do you mean how I'm planning on serving my ham to these people? I said, you told me that you had chefs coming down there. He said, we do, but you're going to be serving it to them. And I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) He said, well, what do you mean you're not? I said, I'm not a chef, and I'm not a cook, and I can't come down there and do that. I would embarrass myself, and we're just not going to do that. He said he had already put it in writing that we were going to be there. I said, well, you better write him a letter and tell him I'm not coming because I'm not going to do that. (laughs) He said, well, don't you use it at your own house? I said, of course we do. He said, what do you do? And I told him we sometimes shaved it paper thin and use it like the Europeans, or we sliced it uh, fairly thin and lightly sauteed it and served it on a biscuit. And he said, well, that's exactly what I want you to do down here. Well, we went down and we did it, and uh, all night long, people kept coming through my line and saying, you know, I'm a chef, and I'm in Phoenix, or I'm in Seattle, or wherever they were from. Can you sell me this product? Well, I'd been giving my product away on the wholesale market in the Great Smoky Mountains uh, nearby, and I was literally struggling to keep my doors open. Well, on the way back from Oxford to Madisonville, Tennessee, I had plenty of time to think, and I thought, you know, I think there's a market with fine dining restaurants. And uh, I was very lucky. I called a team meeting of my then three employees. <laughs> and uh, um, I told them we were going to increase production on our aged country hams by 500% annually starting that day. I literally had a truck sitting in my back dock ready to unload fresh pork. We set out intentionally to target that market. And it took a while. I've been asked this question before. Word of mouth, you ask how I did it. Word of mouth is a very powerful advertising tool. And I wholly recommend that model for anybody that's willing to wait 40 years to make a profit. (laughs) (laughs) That's not not much of a stretch. (laughs) That's not much of a stretch. It's pretty accurate. Oh, that's great. What's your process? What makes your country ham better than anyone else's in the country? What... Do you age your, your, well, your hams longer? First off, what, I, what's the magic? We age some hams long, but, but first off, I'm not going to say that my hams are better than everybody else's in the country. I know three or four producers that I have tremendous respect for that I think make some incredible products. We have been focused on quality. When I got into it, I was wet behind the ears, uh, 26 years old, and immediately I wanted to make something really exceptional quality. I wanted to make it as good as the Europeans or the Asians or anybody on the planet was doing it. I wanted to make world class. And I won't tell you that we're doing that now, but I can tell you that in my business, every day we're focused on trying to make it the best we know how. 
and we age our hams uh, a lot. The oldest hams in my plant right now are a little over three years old, and it depends on what age hams that chefs like. Individuals buy these too, but most of those older hams are going to restaurants across the country, and we try to offer them the pork that I buy. I buy old breeds of pigs, which are raised on pasture with no antibiotics in the feed. You have to have something really good to start out with to end up with something good. For example, a a fine furniture maker is not going to try to build a piece of fine furniture out of number two pine wood. He's going to use a very select hardwood if he can find it. That's the same thing in, in my business. You have to start with something good to end up with something good. And I have a, I owe a debt of gratitude to all these small farmers that raise these hogs in this way. Because without them, I can't make the quality that I'm making. You mentioned a few minutes ago that you started out, or, you, or many years ago, you had three employees. Can you tell our listeners how many employees you, you have now and, and just kind of the developmental process that, that has happened over the course of the last 40 years? Well, we, uh, I'm still, still a very small business. I think every USDA meat inspector that's ever been there is shocked at the amount of product we are able to produce in such a small facility. I now have uh, 20 employees uh, plus myself. We've added on to the building a few times. When we started, I at least this building remember from the old fellow who started the business. His name was Albert Hicks, and he he started that business by accident in 1947. Ran it until the spring of '73. When I took the business over in the spring or the fall of '73, I ran that business in that man's backyard for five years wasn't government inspected, was barely making enough money to pay the light bill and keep me in groceries, literally. Finally, I built another building over on U.S. Highway 411, which gets a lot more traffic because he was out on an old dairy farm in the country. You almost can't get there with a roadmap from here, as we say around here. Once I built that building, uh, I've added on to it, I don't even know, seven or eight times, I guess. And it's still a small facility, probably not much more than 20,000 square feet total, but we crank out a lot of a lot of product there. And again, we're focusing on quality. When I hire employees, if I think they're just there to put in their eight hours, I don't keep them. I want people who are willing to help me try to make a world-class product. And I've always believed that uh, good old boys in America, that we can make sunglasses or automobiles country ham and bacon, or shoes or whatever, as good as the Europeans, the Asians, or anybody else. We just have to focus on quality. And if we do that, I don't think we have to worry about trade surpluses with other countries. If we make good products, we're going to be able to ship ours all over the world. Absolutely. To that point, when I called your your shop, I got treated like I was, I mean, it was the nicest person that I spoke to on the, your customer service was impeccable i mean it they treated me like i was their child like i like i was their next door neighbor is that something you pride yourself on customer service i mean it was the nicest person that i spoke to on the phone it it made me feel like i was home probably never a day goes by that i don't brag on my employees i believe i have some of the best people i could possibly surround myself with out there Customer service is very important in my business. You have to give first-class customer service and sell a truly outstanding product 
and then you're lucky if you can stay in business. The business environment's been very challenging with the COVID and all that. Uh, we watched the restaurants that we sell to across the country all close down, and we struggled with them. I count my blessings every day that we came through it. I never did have to lay anybody off, and we survived it here. Not uh, as profitable as I'd like to be at this point, but that'll come back. As long as we can stay focused on quality and treating our customers well, we feel like that's a formula for success. I got to ask you this. Neil and I are from Kentucky, obviously, Eastern Kentucky, but you're from where you live in Tennessee, and I imagine not too far from Lynchburg. Do you prefer Kentucky bourbon or Tennessee whiskey? You're putting me on the spot. Tennesseans are going to hate I'm partial to the stuff coming out of Kentucky. I don't All think right. anybody has it better. <laughs> Good answer. I just don't think it gets any better. <laughs> I had to ask that. So can you tell me and tell our listeners, is there a, uh, a biggest or most well-known restaurant that, that you sell to currently or that you sold to over the years that, that you could uh, give everybody an idea of uh, who has your product out there? Gosh, I would probably leave out too many people. I don't want to get into missing places. We we sell to uh, some incredible chefs, both in the South here and, and all over the country. I've been blessed to, to sell to some of the best chefs in the country. And, Will, they're the ones that got me the attention. I didn't get the attention for myself. And I literally owe a debt of gratitude to every chef in the country that uses or has used my product because... As I said, they're the ones that got me the attention, the incredible, genius ways they use the product. You know, if a food writer goes into a restaurant and they eat a dish and they're, you got to think about this, those food writers are looking for a story anyway. And my products are different. And uh, when they go in and they try this, they'll say, oh my, what is this? And and there comes a story. And uh, I've been very blessed to get the attention because of those chefs. I think I mentioned a couple of while ago, Sean Brock and David Chang. Those are two incredible chefs. Uh, Sean is from an adjoining county there in Virginia where I was from. Um, he was from Wise County. I was from Scott County. They joined. Scott has got an incredible reputation, uh, nationwide reputation. So has David Chang. And he was in New York. He's now in Los Angeles. Both of those guys have a special talent and a special genius in cooking. But, We've been blessed. I've sold product to some of the very best chefs in the country. As I said, if I started naming names, I'd leave out so many because we have some local chefs here in Knoxville that are just world class. They're not one of them. A chef I sell to there is one the James Beard. There's another one or two in Knoxville that should win the James Beard. They're that talented. I, I, I would be remiss if I tried to start naming names because there's so many that we're lucky and fortunate that they like my products. I was just going to say, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that, but, but I appreciate appreciate the answer. I, th- I think one thing that stands out, especially with your business, is is persistence. Obviously, you've been very persistent. And I feel like nowadays we live in a world of instant gratification where, you know, people will change jobs three, four, five, six times throughout throughout their life. You, you know, and I think your success, especially now, has been based on persistence. What would you tell the younger generation or a young person that's just starting out, that wants to start a business? What would you, is there, is there a piece of advice that you would give them? You know, 
I've been blessed to do something that I truly enjoy. I wouldn't still be working at my age if I didn't enjoy what I do. I enjoy making ham and bacon. But most of all, I've enjoyed the incredible element of humanity that I've been blessed to get to know through my business. And I think if you do something that you truly enjoy, you'll never really consider it work. That's a great answer. Yeah. Where do you call home and and why do you call it home? What makes it unique for you? Well, I'm conflicted on that a little bit. (laughs) Home is definitely here in Monroe County where I reside. I don't think I could live in a better place than I live than Madisonville, Tennessee. It's inconvenient. It's uh, 45 minutes to Knoxville from here. And I tell people that the Super Walmart and the local farmers cooperative don't have it. We have to go to Knoxville. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we're like every small town. We've got a Walmart and, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's typical Southern town. But the incredible natural beauty of this area, uh, the county's made up largely of the Cherokee National Forest. It's uh, the same mountain range as the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. The only thing that separates it is the Little Tennessee River Gorge. And it's gorgeous, but there's a part of me that still identifies with Virginia. Uh, it truly is home as well. Uh, we still own uh, our old home place there. I will never sell it as as long as uh, I'm alive. Yeah, that, that's always interesting to hear. And, and, and Neil, Neil still lives in Appalachia. I actually live in Cleveland, Ohio, because my wife's from here. But I still consider Appalachia home. It, it will always be home to me, uh, that little part of eastern Kentucky where I grew up. Eastern Kentucky and the southwestern tip of Virginia are just about identical. Yeah, both, yep. both the folkways, the people that live there, uh, the terrain, everything is so similar. I, I kind of get the impression of how you grew up and where you grew up and, and just your just talking to you that you're an incredibly, obviously an extremely nice person, but all, an incredibly humble person. Do you do you feel like a celebrity or, or how do you feel about your your success? Well, I'm going to give you a straight answer. I've been told before that I'm humble. And if so, I want to tell you, I'm humble for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) I I describe myself as a hillbilly quite often. I'm just a hillbilly making country ham and bacon. And I'm truly blessed to be doing something I enjoy and to have had the success I've had. I think I struggled for so long in the business. It's hard for me to get my arms around the fact that we're sort of better known now in the culinary world. I struggle with that because I promise you the first 20 to 25 years were so lean. I've never gotten that out of my system. And I truly know how fortunate I am to still be in business after this many years. Do you think uh, being Appalachian, do you think you get treated any differently in, in the culinary world? I've been, I've been treated far better than I ever deserved. And that's the truth. At first, uh, like I said, we struggled. The first years were so tough. And once I started uh, being able to get product in with some of these great restaurants, I know how truly blessed I am to be able to do that. I appreciate Mr. Benton's time, and and, uh, I'm a a lover of all things ham. So (laughs) I just uh, feel honored to have the opportunity to speak with you. Well, if you fellas ever make it to East Tennessee... By all means, come see us. We'd love to have you and show you what we do.
We well, definitely I live will. In, I, I live in London, Kentucky, so I'm not too far away. So uh, you're not I that would love far away to, at all. I would love to come down and uh, and meet you personally. Well, you? if you ever start this way, reach out to us and let me know you're coming. I'm, I'm in and out, Sam. So I don't want to miss you if you make it here, and I promise you, we'll send you home with enough stuff to keep your tongue <laughs> greasy for a few days. <laughs> I appreciate that. With, for our for our listeners, Alan, can do you give tours? Can they stop by your shop? How oh, can they of find course. you? We're, we're, we're always delighted to show people what we do. This past year, uh, USDA didn't tell us we not, couldn't take people on tours, but they asked me not to. And I can promise you I understood where they were coming from. So for a period of about close to a year, we didn't uh, do any tours in the business. So right now, we're, we're still doing a little bit of it. Assuming that this virus does not get worse than it is, I hope they don't. They may stop us again because it's uh, rearing its head uh, pretty high here in, in my area. I think the I think we're having more of it now than we ever had at the peak last year. So it could deal my business a blow in many ways, and giving tours might be one of them. But we're always glad to take people through and show them what we do because you don't see a place like ours on every street corner anymore. Uh, so it's always a pleasure to show people. Uh, we've got a couple of smokehouses that are going most of the time. In fall of the year, they can run seven days a week, just to tell you the truth. Uh, we, we put a lot of meat through there from now until the first of the year. And I imagine they... One thing, one thing I will tell you, when I first started trying to pick up some of these high-dollar restaurants, I would make a phone call. I wasn't using a computer at all in those days, and Somebody goes to New York, and I'd say, well, where did you eat? And they'd tell me, and I'd dial information, get the number, and call and try to talk to the chef. Well, we talk slower in this part of the country than they do in places like New York. And before I could get my name out and start to tell them what I was doing, they'd thank me and hang up. Now, that was a challenge. (laughs) I, I finally would just hand slice some product, write a note, put my phone number, say, this is what we make this is the age of the product if you're interested call us we won't contact you further and most of the time i was getting a return phone call by that time so that worked for us quality matters it absolutely does so people can can go online you you have an online shop they can they can we order do. we do they do we we have a we have a website they can just google benton's bacon and it'll take take them to my uh, website uh my kids were in high school they kept telling me i needed a website and i said well that's the craziest thing i ever heard of not going to sell any meat on a bad young computer well finally my son was a freshman in college he had two older sisters and he called me one night he said so dad you need a, a website and you don't even know it and he said he could put one up from his dorm room in probably 30 minutes and at least i'd have one and I said, well, son, there'll never be the first pound of nothing sold over a that young computer. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. He said, well, if it's okay, I'm going to put you one up. So he put me one up. Next day, about 4.30, he called me. He said, so, Dad, have you checked your website to see if you've got any orders? And again, I said, son, there'll never be the first order placed on that thing. 
He said, well, Dad, you might ought to look. I can't remember. It was either six or seven orders. He said, you've got six orders or seven orders. <laughs> to this day, I don't understand how that works, but I'm glad it does. <laughs> we, we, have a, we do a good online business, and we're so thankful for it. That's great. Um, Alan, we want to thank you again. We, we greatly appreciate you taking the time and being part of this. And, and we just want to, you know, spread the word and let people know how great your product is. And if they need it, if they want it, they can go online or visit you in person. Um, but thanks again. Well, thanks for promoting all things Appalachia. You, I'm, I'm a fan of yours already because I think Appalachia is truly a special area. And uh, I think those of us who are blessed to live in it are very fortunate. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Come see us. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Well, man, history lesson. Once again, Alan Benton. I do... Whether he's going to let it hang on him or not, I'm still calling him the king of country ham forever. How about you? Definitely, definitely the king of country ham, whether he accepts it or not. Just to be at it as long as he has and and the quality of his product. You know, you don't just get on, on these menus that he's on just by happenstance. Spoken like a true Appalachian, though, when it comes to determination and will to win, I had no idea. And, I, you know, that story can be said for a lot of people who struggle in the early years of business. But over half of the length of time that he's been in business, he talked about the struggle and just how real it was and trying to find a way to get over the top. Uh, I can relate to that. And I know there's thousands upon thousands of others through throughout Appalachia that that can relate in a similar fashion and you just as an Appalachian you keep your head down you keep your you keep grinding and great things happen and they certainly have for Alan and I enjoyed hearing him answer that question about humility and how humble he is and the reason behind that and I, I don't know I just thought that was a was a perfect answer. You know, we can, we can brag on him and tell big time stories because he is big time to us, but he lived it. You know, he knows how hard it was to, to climb the mountain that he's climbed. So I got a lot of respect for that. Yeah. You don't just, uh, like I said, get on those menus overnight. It's one thing to be well known now, but like he said, the first 25 years, he was struggling to keep the lights on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so the first 25 years, not everyone knew of the king of country ham. Not many people that would stick it out. Yeah, yeah. It was, I thought it was a great, great interview, a great episode. He uh, shared a lot, not only about process and, and, and his product, but also where he's from and how proud he is to be where he's from. I hope he knows that I'm going to time it up like right before Thanksgiving, you know I'm going down. he 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 just threw that out there like i wouldn't show up he doesn't know me well does he (laughs) you're not far either you're not far no i'm gonna bring the whole family too my kids are going i'm I'm gonna see what he's got going on everybody should go everybody should go check it out he's giving dinner is gonna be good at our house if you're from near there go go get a tour go check out benton's country ham Yes, sir. Madisonville. Since 1947. Yep. Awesome. Awesome stuff, man. I, I, Again, remarkable story. 
fantastic business. A guy who's truly doing what he loves. He said it. I, I, I don't want to repeat it, but he started doing it because he liked it. I think we can all learn a little bit of something from that. It's not always about the instant gratification. Do it because you like it and run its course, man. Be steadfast. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I was just going to ask you tonight before you get an opportunity to ask me. You got something for our uh, of place segment? I, I was thinking about it a lot while he was talking, and, and you've kind of already alluded to it. Oh, I stole your thunder. <laughs> you did. Always stealing mine. You did a little bit. That's just, right. Just uh, you know, in honor of this past weekend, this past Labor Day, I thought he, he was a perfect person to have on in regards to not only being as humble as he was, you could hear that in the interview. But just that persistence of labor, you know, like like we said, that, a quality is a product or, or something that he produces that is well so well known throughout the country, but throughout the world, you have to be persistent. And and in a day and age when a lot of times we have gig workers, we have people that work multiple jobs, multiple industries, and that's just commonplace these days. I don't know if someone could do now what he did then start in the country ham business, barely keep the light on for 25 years, but just keep at it and keep at it until his product is so well known and the quality is so high end, you know, success breeds success. He hadn't have done it for so long. If he hadn't committed to the labor, to the work, to the struggle, then he wouldn't be where he is today. And I I just want to, commend him for that, commend all the laborers out there that struggle, that continue to work, continue to be resilient. I think that's a that's a strong word in Appalachia. I think Appalachian communities, Appalachian people are all resilient because we have to be, because <clears throat> we always have been. And that's something that he has shown his humbleness in the interview, not only in the interview, but in his work and how persistent he's been and how resilient he's been through his labor uh, and just kind of co- that commemoration of Labor Day and the struggle. Well, I don't, I really don't know. And I don't want to lightheartedly say this, but, you know, we've had a lot of guests on thus far. And I don't know if people just realize the magnitude of the guest that we just had on uh, his, I don't know what you want to call it, status in the, in the world that he's in in the culinary world in the culinary world his status is you know we we've probably not talked to anybody else in their field that's achieved and accomplished what he's accomplished thus far and continues to so i'm super super thrilled that he took the time to to visit with us and uh hopefully everybody learns a little something and hopefully we help add to his business in some way Absolutely. I'm definitely honored that he would take the time. Like I said on his show, when we reached out, the people that work for him are are the nicest, most down to earth people that you'd ever find. I think that's just the Appalachian way. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. That's how we do things down here. Like we used to say when we were kids, man, when people passed us in the yard, if they didn't wave, we checked them off the list. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we are in Appalachia. Definitely. Uh, before we wrap it up, there's there's something we haven't mentioned in the last several episodes. You know, if you like what you're hearing, share the episode with someone. Look at our Twitter page, our fan page, our uh, 
Instagram page, whatever it is. But tell someone, pass the word along. Yep. Like Mr. Out. said, word of mouth, man. That's the best. Word of mouth. Definitely you word of mouth. Advertisement. We're about to get some merch, though. Y'all will buy some merch. It's coming. Yes, sir. All right. Like I usually say, till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong. In the mountains again.